Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Barney. And we're comedy duo Cool and Smart. You're listening to the Improv Conspiracy Podcast and our episode on Two Trolls. And I'm John the Wizard. Hello, my friends. Welcome. Thanks for being here. I hope you're all doing all right right now. It's a pretty wild time out there in our world. Um, And look, I'm sure you don't come to this podcast for news or current events, so it doesn't feel like the place to address it all. Um, But I do just want to say that I personally have been reading a lot and listening and making sure I'm listening to relevant content on podcasts and videos, um, especially content from people of color, um, just to make sure I have a better understanding of everything, of the movement, of what's happening here in Australia as well, um, just as importantly, uh, and just learning to be a better ally moving forward. And I encourage you to do the same. If you've not yet engaged in the plethora of things being shared online, I'm sure you've seen at least one post um, click the links in that post. Uh, there's so many good resources, websites, all that sort of stuff to go to. Um, just get educated on everything that's happening. That's all I'll say about that for now. Um, also, just for context, this episode was recorded uh, about two months ago um, with who? Matt and Barney. Who are they? They are the comedy duo Cool and Smart. They are both writers, comedians, actors. Um, they're very funny people and very joyful to watch perform because they have this undeniable chemistry between the two of them that I think is pretty infectious. And we talk a little bit about how that chemistry serves them and maybe sometimes allows them to do some things that, uh, they can't do with other people. Uh, they also reference a couple of things that you need context for. One of them is TBD, which is a show that they did at the Improv Conspiracy where they improvised and filmed those scenes and used uh, that footage to devise um, sketches. And then Paradise, which is their Melbourne International Comedy Festival show from about 18 months ago. Um, And I think that's all that you need to know uh, that you don't already know. Uh, Other than that, let's just get to the show, shall we? Here's Matt and Barney slash Cool and Smart. Um, can I start? Yeah, yeah, please. All right, cool. All right, guys, what do you know about two pros? <laughs> um, I know that it requires a huge amount of trust between the two improvisers. That's my first thing. I think uh, it requires. I think. I think you'd be a fool not to do two pros with someone you're friends. You're not friends with. I think that would be silly. You've just got to be able to have a lot of fun with each other and appreciate one another's sense of humour. Is, is any of this working for you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I reckon the biggest, the biggest thing is like um, having that like trust and being mates, but also like it's, it's like the gauntlet for, for coming out with an idea and then the other, like you come out and you're like, all right, sweet. Um, we're, we're in a forest and we're wood, wood choppers. And then the other person comes out and is like, um, all right, alien two. That's, <laughs> and that's a good thing as well. <laughs> Well, in two prob, you you want to differentiate the characters. That's super yeah, important. yeah, yeah. Make yeah. sure you have your numbers ready. 
Um, but like the main thing is like, um, you know, that you have to be so ready because it's just the two of you and so open to just like dropping whatever you thought. Yeah, 100% was going to happen. I think that's a huge part of it. I was watching like some clips from TBD that we did last year and there were so many scenes where like I'd watch it back and you could see I'd come out and I'd be like, oh, I remember the idea I had. And then you say something, I'm like, and that's when I dropped that idea. Like <laughs> that's when I had to absolutely give it up and just be like, that's not happening anymore. And it's the same. I remember a scene we did, I think it was when we had to end up doing that one hour at Taps and I came out and oh, I, you came out and you sat me down as if I was getting, you pulled a chair out for me and sat me down. And I didn't know what was going on. You, it turned out you wanted me to be on a tram, you told me later on, but then I decided that it was a hairdresser's and it was just so much fun rolling with that. It's, that, it's so much fun having to like mash two ideas together and see what happens. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's the cool thing as well where you get, like I reckon the best trooper we've done is when, having <laughs> completely contradicting what I just said is when one, <laughs> when, when one person comes out and says the idea and then like the other, but me or you, it's just like, yeah, I'm just going to say my idea as well. And then we'll just see what, <laughs> just see what happens. Yeah. It's definitely like, I think there's two sides to it. You can either, if you can, if you're sort of ready to admit that one idea is obviously strong or like your idea is in completely incompatible with that, the other idea then you've got to be ready to drop your idea. But if there's some way where the two ideas can coexist, I think it's probably more fun to see how they can coexist. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah, because then I think you get sort of like, it's almost like an alchemy kind of thing of like, how do these two complete, I don't know, not opposites, but strange things work together and you try and find the connections. Because I think you could, like you can come out and if you just do the same thing, if you just match whatever someone else is doing, you can end up just like, it can fall a bit flat and you have to rely on the dialogue or you have to rely on whatever else to make it really exciting. But I think if you make two opposing worlds clash, you end up finding like some weird stuff. Yeah. It's like, uh, the like layers of, of agreement or like yes ending in the sense that you could come out and drop whatever you had thought and then just roll with it. And then you're two butchers or, you know, like you are able to come out. One person says, I'm a butcher. The other person says, um, I have swords for hands. Actually, that would work in a, <laughs> in a butcher. That would work. That would be, oh, man. <laughs> Why am I doing not doing one prop? You know, like, and then you can, like, find the way <laughs> that those two things fit by, you, you know, like, still being like, oh, get out of here, sword hands. Stop cutting up my customers. And then sword hands, you know, can be like, but I've always dreamt of being a butcher. And you said that on this day I could be your, you know, like whatever. Yeah. 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 There's another, there's another great clip in the TBD thing where um, you come out and you're flicking through your phone and then I come out and I stand on a chair, like as if I'm in a tree, but then no one says anything for a while. I start like pretending to hock a loogie and then you turn around and endow me as uh, Mary from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and then we're both Mary and Pippin. And it's just one of those, it's, it's another one of those things where it's just like that works. There's no reason why that can't be true. And I really agree with what you're saying about it. There being like those layers of yes and those layers of agreement and being like, you can, you can still hold on to your idea without discounting the other person's idea. Do you reckon that, um, that, that kind of like, if you start a scene at that point where you're kind of trying to figure out how the two characters 
fit in the same world it kind of functions as a way of making you play in the moment because you the improviser are actually actively trying to figure something out at the same time as the audience is watching it yeah i think that's why i think like for me my favorite thing about improv is actively forcing yourself to remain on the edge of your seat or constantly fly by the seat of your pants and i feel like if you're not there you're probably not truly improvising like unless you're unless you're in like unless you're almost in like a constant fight or flight response. <laughs> like, I think, I think if you're like too comfortable, if you see someone come out and be a butcher and you come out and you be a butcher as well, I feel like that's too comfortable. You're like, well, I guess we're both butchers, do some butcher things. I almost, I, I really enjoy that kind of come out and putting yourself in the shit and being like, okay, well now you have to be that character. Otherwise, if you don't commit, you're doing bad improv. So you're just going to have to be the character you said you were and find out why that Yeah. Do, do you think then that like for, for Tuprov that uh, like the character scene um, is uh, like not a, not the strongest choice you can make? Yeah. I think I probably do think that. I, I, th- oh, I mean, it's interesting because like we did, like Paradise was all character scenes, for example. But that was sketch. But like, I think, I think in terms of improv and I think a lot of what I've just said is, is bad improv advice, generally speaking, but in terms of two prob, I think you've got to have that, like, you've, if you, if it's, if you're doing two prob with someone who you trust implicitly, then I think you, it's sort of incumbent on the both of you to push one another in that respect. I think you guys are highlighting just like, I mean, you said it right at the top with the word gauntlet, but also everything else you've said highlights, like it's pretty hard because like there is a lot of, there is a lot of like by the end of a show. um, I mean, no matter how long it is really like you're really scraping the barrel of like your creativity and you're just like trusting that like, I'm going to go do a thing and I got to trust that the two characters will figure out what the hell it is. Yeah. But by the end of like an hour of two prov, you have like hollowed out, both of your brains <laughs> yeah yeah in like the most in the most zen way possible in my experience oh yeah yeah you're bereft of thought you're just there's not a problem in the world after a i mean it, the problems come flooding back but <laughs> <laughs> and that's why we're here <laughs> that's the problem. you also talked about uh staying on the edge of your seat there's a popular or a, a classic saying which is um the edge of your intelligence which is different to the top of your intelligence. Um, but I think the edge of your intelligence, part of that is like, if there's something that you know that is the truth of this scene, you better say it now because otherwise you're just like holding on to something and you're no longer, you're sort of hedging now if you're just withholding information from us. Absolutely. It's, it's like present in when like a student will say, uh, you know, you'll, you'll stop a scene that was struggling and a student might be like, oh, I was doing this because it was clear that, uh, I was her father or something. And you'll just be like, well, then why didn't you say it? Yeah, it was clear to you. Yeah, they'll be like, what? It was like, so you're not, you, like, un- until you say that out loud and then start improvising from what you know, like, you're putting yourself on that edge as, as much as possible to, like, rather than keep it to myself that I'm the, the parent and as some sort of safety net, I'm just going to blurt it out now and, and continue. Yeah, I've seen so many examples of that where people were like, 
Yeah, I was like, I was holding on to that. That was my zinger for later. I was like, well, you, you don't you don't hold on to a zinger, man. You got to zing it. <laughs> you you got to zing it, and trust that more zingers will come. Also, like, what are you doing in that in the period between uh, not giving the zinger? Like, what what are you offering? You're thinking about your zinger. You're not in the scene. You're just thinking, I've got such a fucking good line coming up. Just you wait. <laughs> just waiting for an opening. As soon as Barney stops talking. And yeah, that's I mean, that's totally the other thing. If you if you like if you've got an idea in your mind and you haven't put it out onto the stage yet, then you're busy. You're not like listening fully because you're busy holding on to that thing. I remember there was a a scene <laughs> we did Matt once where I can't remember where, we were going somewhere, but I said something about like uh, airlines, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and I was like, what something? I just wanted you to say Qantas. Right. And then you did. And so then I sung that, like, I still call Australia home and which went fine. But then you said, how desperate were you for me to say Qantas? (laughs) And I said, yeah, very. And then that got the big laugh because that was the, like, uh, you immediately saying the thing because it was obvious. I was like, say Qantas. I think that's an interesting thing to bring up just in terms of like, it's, like that's almost kind of a metery sort of thing to say, but I think it could also like, I don't really remember that scene, but it sounds like it works in context as well. I think there's a really fine line in that sort of stuff because sometimes the, the obvious truthful thing is a comment on the way someone said something or the reason why someone said something. Uh, and sometimes it's improv related and sometimes it could be based on the relationship between the two characters. There's also this thing called show one and show two. Um, I can't remember who first spoke about that, but like show in an improv is always trading on both shows. Show one is the, it's a piece of theater with, um, dialogue and characters and, and imagined spaces and whatever. And show two is the fact that two people are making it up on the spot right now. And, um, and like whatever improv show you watch, like some trade more in show two and some trade more in show one. For example, like um, the Hideout Theatre in Austin, I've watched them uh, do long form narrative shows that are incredible. And I would say they're almost all show one, like they're just great pieces of theatre. Whereas I think you got, you two, especially with your like charisma and your relationship, actually find a lot of success in the use of like leaning on show two here and there. and acknowledging that like this is in the moment we're fucking around with each other i yeah i'd probably agree with that just the amount that we laugh at each other is ridiculous the amount we the way we use it to like egg each other on and to be like keep keep talking like say more things this is really great we're having a lot of fun um it really shines through and there's also a moment where barney's doing a scene where he wants to be on master chef he just opened the scene by being like i'm a master chef and then I tried to sort of turn it into a relationship he's seen, but then sort of listed a few more uh, reality TV shows. And then I forgot Married at First Sight. So I turned to the audience and said, what's the one with the marriage? And they told me Married at First Sight. And that got like, it was, and then just continued on with the scene, didn't like labour it or anything. It was bananas the laugh it got. I was, I was like, I was watching back. I was like, what are you doing, Matt? That's crazy. You guys have such a unique ability to be able to get away with that. Even um, I'm a guy with swords for hands. I like, <laughs> you use this as an example, but you like, I wouldn't put it past you to just initiate a scene like that. <laughs> and for some reason it works. Whereas if I tried that initiation, people would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> what is it about that? What are you? How are you doing that? It's um, it's show one point five. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that is. But because I, 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 it's for me, there's something about it. Um, like when we started out, most like a lot of our first performances we did together were hosting Harold Night. There was a lot of that, and so a lot of that, like we have, like I'd say we have as much experience talking to an audience as we do talking to each other on stage as characters. Gotcha. And so I think, I think we're both very comfortable flitting in and out of that, like in and out of the fourth wall. I feel like we have, well, both my and I have talked about this before, this theory of like, that uh, it's similar to what you said about the show one and show two, like um, the idea that, that improv as a, as a medium, when you're watching it as an audience has, um, a lower threshold for hitting the like the sublime where someone does something you know in that whole life i can't believe they're making it up kind of thing where it seems too what happens seems too perfect or too uh like too not good but like uh too coordinated or or codified that couldn't possibly be made up. And so when those moments happen, they get that kind of reaction. And I think part of us, you know, not maybe not even purposely most of the time, doing the show two thing reminds the audience all the time that it's too, we're making something, it's two people just having fun. One of the ways I think about it is like, if, if Bunny and I do a, a longer show together or whatever, it's kind of like you're inviting your friend around to your house and hanging out for a night. It's, it's that sort of vibe where you're like, like when you're a kid and you come around and be like, let's, we're going to play, you know, we're going to play Harry Potter for two hours or whatever. But we're just, we're just playing pretend. And if you were playing pretend with someone when you were a kid, you would sometimes call them out on their like imagination choices as well. You'd be like, <laughs> stuff, stuff would be happening, but you'd also sometimes be like, mm, okay, I don't know that. That, that's, that seems weird. That doesn't really fit in the world. Mine was usually like, no, you, you got, your bullets didn't hit my G.I. Joe. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, and I, I think that's something that Barney and I like, are pretty conscious of before every show is the idea that we're doing this for fun. We're doing that. Like, I think we're, we very much acknowledge how low the stakes are and the fact that like, a misstep on stage doesn't mean the end of the world. It doesn't mean like, people are going to we're not going to lose respect for one another. We've, I think, I, I don't know about Barney, but I, well, yeah, I'd say for, say for Barney, we're both very much of that idea that like, as amazing as improv is, it's not like a, a um, life or death situation. So we're very like, we're very content. I think it's something we've said in the past as well. We have a real willingness to fail and we've got each other's back in that respect. And if something like, if something bomb bombs, we'll get the fuck out of it. Like, well, we're not going to live in the shit. I think we're just very tuned into that sort of like how much we want something to continue or not. Now for a practical nugget. I would say if you're trying to, if you want to do true prov, pick someone who always makes you laugh, pick the funniest person you know who likes you and then <laughs> uh, invent a bunch of, uh, invent a bunch of warm-ups with them and like, Make, make the thing, make improv your own little microcosm. Uh, I think the way I warm up with Barney is different. The way I talk to Barney is different. Like that we have our, it's like we have our own private language. Invest the time in it. That's not particularly practical, but. I think invent your own warm-ups is good for any a team of any size. I reckon if my thing would be if you're training to improv, probably don't do this in the, in the first show, but <laughs> as, a, as a practice, like 
uh, go out on stage, uh, go out second, let the other person say what their initiation is and then just look them in the eyes and say your idea, <laughs> completely ignoring what they've said and then practice going going from there. My one other piece of advice would be if you're picking someone to do two-prop with, pick someone who you can talk to about things other than comedy as well. The more stuff you can connect on, I think the better. So let me explain what's happening. Uh, <laughs> the first time that we did the improv scene, it was, we had tech issues. Yep. The other thing was we also had mental issues um, <laughs> because it was just, it was terrible. So now we're doing really, it again. It was really bad. So we're doing another one. Um, yeah, which is a tip, I guess, another improv tip for you. If you do a bad show, ask everyone to come back next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As an actual tip, if you do a bad scene, just get out and do another one. And do something fun. Now we're gonna do it. We're gonna do an improv scene. Yeah, we're doing a scene now. Okay. <laughs> where where should we get a <laughs> suggestion from? Um, what about this bookmark? Bookmark. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's too loud in here. Oh, it's just everyone's screaming. Everyone's screaming so loud. <laughs> I just want to sit down and read my new book, The Dry. I want to read The Dry by Jane Harper. Harper. Jane Harper's book, The Dry, is why I've, why I've taken the day off in the first place and now everyone's just screaming. Me? I just want to read a book by Robert Galbraith. Who's that? Yes. That's J.K. Rowling. Oh, <laughs> Well, I've got some new shoes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just, I've just read something terrible on Twitter. Oh, no. That's tell yeah. me what it is quietly. Okay, well, she, she, is Jane very, Harper. Jane, no, 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 Jane Harper's okay. She, oh. read, she wrote, she wrote the dry. She wrote the dry. Yeah, but J.K. Rowling, Robert Galbraith. Yes. She just said some. Oh, this is legit. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. This is important. This is important. It's just you don't need to scream. I know I'm screaming like the rest of them. Everyone's screaming. Everyone's screaming, but I've got to. I've got to tell you this. Okay, if you're going to be talking about. Get it off your chest. This is legit. I did actually just read this on Twitter before we started doing this. Okay. <laughs> and by that I mean having a whispered chat. Having a whispered chat. <laughs> JK is back on her high horse about what it means to be a trans person and who is and who isn't one. Oh, and what no. sex and gender are. Oh, no. I have to put down this book by Robert Galbraith. Put it down and pick up the dry again. I'll pick up by the Jane Harper. Harper. Oh, Corey. Yes, I love Miss... this shack. It's the shrieking shack. <laughs> Everyone keeps shrieking. <laughs> shack. It's awful being two Harry Potter characters that are aware that they are Harry Potter characters. 
characters. And so the only place we find solace, as we're the only two that are aware that we're fictional characters, is the shrieking shack. And it's so frustrating, the fact that being aware, we have to find out the sins of our creator. <laughs> we know we have a god, and that god is... is, is Awful to trans Awful. <laughs> yes. Oh. I wish I was a ghost. Uh, thank you so much, fellas. Thanks thank so much, Bonnie. There you have my friends. That was Matt and Barney slash cool and smart. If you liked what you heard from them, they are gearing up to release a podcast called Celebrations. You can keep your eye out for news on that on their Instagram. Um, you can just search Instagram for Cool and Smart or use their handle Cool and Smirt, which is K-E-W-L and S-M-E-R-T. Go forth and follow. Uh, if you didn't already know and you're a member of the Improv Conspiracy community, we are starting classes again this week. I'm teaching a class tonight. It's going to be uh, weird and wild to be back, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Until next time, my friends, have a nice week. <laughs>